Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest in our series of Empire Podcast Spoiler Specials. This one is dedicated to the latest entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. What's this, film 15 now? Something like that? Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Over the next hour and a half or so, we'll be delving deep into the latest adventures of Star-Lord and his posse of otherworldly a-holes. And speaking of a-holes, I will be joined on this podcast by Helen O'Hara. Wait a minute. A-hole. You're the number one hole. That's not that's, that's not that a good means. thing. That sounds awful. That you sounds wanna, worse. You don't want to be a said hole. That sounds worse, Chris. Does it? It's it's getting bad. You're saying Just, someone you're my number one hole. Yeah, that's is, super I can see, bad. <laughs> I can see with I'm the calling of, HR right now. With the benefit of hindsight, it was perhaps not the best thing to say. Anyway, uh John Eugent is also here. I'm more of a sea hole. <laughs> That's even worse. What is happening here? How does that even worse? Human resources, come and save me. All right. I don't know. But before we get into holes and no. all sorts of stuff... What? We're not getting into any We're holes. Not any no, holes. that's okay. not what's happening. No holes will be filled during the course of this podcast. <laughs> Uh, we're going to hear from the man behind the movie. Uh, James Gunn, of course, co-wrote and directed the first film, Guardians of the Galaxy, which was a wonderful surprise smash back in 2014. And he's back behind the typewriter, on his own this time, and behind the camera on the sequel. I spoke to him fairly recently about the movie. He was very candid and open about many of the film's twists and turns. And actually, we didn't cover everything. There were some things I forgot to ask him and was kicking myself about afterwards. But that's okay. We'll cover that later on. Uh, as ever, this is a spoiler special, so if you haven't seen Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, highly to your nearest movie emporium, see the film, and then come back. This isn't for the newbies. Away, I tell you newbies. Away! All right, are they gone? I think so. They're gone. Uh, we can probably begin. Here is James Gunn talking to me. Enjoy. Uh, delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the writer and director of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. James Gunn, how are you, sir? I'm good, Chris, except for that uh, Galactus shirt you have on there. <laughs> Fox property, teasing me, tantalizing well, me with his greatness. I love Galactus, and I was just thinking, maybe, I mean, you you, know, you got a deal to get Ego in the movie. Yeah, Maybe yeah. next time around. Well, yeah, that's true. I think, I think they're a little, you know, Fox is a little more uh, clear on what Galactus means to them than what Ego <laughs> the Living Planet means to them. They're not using him. They're not using him. He's just sitting there wasted. Yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but you never know. You never know. Uh, um, let's start with Ego, actually. Sure. Uh, uh, when you had finished Volume One, mm-hmm. and you'd obviously you'd set up the idea of Peter's dad, mystery Peter's dad. Yeah. Did you know at that point it was going to be Ego? Was it? Uh, the, the hope? Uh, yeah, around that point, I knew before the movie who his father was. Like I knew that he was, you know, a celestial. Mm-hmm. That he was a being of great power, made of light, that created himself. So I knew, you know, what the origin of Ego is. I, I knew who he was. I don't think I decided upon Ego the Living Planet until around the end of the first movie. And I definitely didn't tell Kevin until after we, you know, opened up and made a lot of box office opening weekend. (laughs) Uh, More to the point, did you know he was a wrong'un? Did I know he was what? A wrong'un. A bad'un. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A wrong'un. An evil person. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I knew his father was quite a bad guy. I knew his father was a very, very, I thought of him as a very, very bad guy. Okay. Uh, 
And he is. He's really bad. And he is, uh, absolutely. And it's it's one of the interesting uh, revelations about the, about the movie, how just how uh, just how Ego's plan unfolds. Uh, can you talk about where that came from, the idea of the expansion? And Well, you know, I mean, just quite honestly, you know, I had discussions with, you know, Chris Pratt and I early on in terms of what we were doing with the second movie. I think that in the wake of the first movie, both of us experienced this tremendous lift in our you know our egos basically where we went from you know he was the you know chubby you know supporting actor on a sitcom and I was a guy directing cult low budget movies and suddenly after that I could direct any movie I wanted and he could star in any movie we wanted we went from having you know everyone he wanted stuff from us and I really think that the movie, in a lot of ways, is about us and our relationship to that ego and not being destroyed by it mm-hmm. and um, and uh, allowing ourselves to still be ourselves and stay who we were before we started making the movie. Yeah. And that's really, to me, the personal story of, uh, you know, volume two. So to paraphrase uh, White Goodman and Dodgeball. Uh, Peter's story in this is a metaphor yeah. that actually happened. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, it's uh, it's it's kind of interesting where uh, Peter goes. I mean, it's about the apple falling very far from the tree. Yeah. In many ways with with, uh, with his relationship with Ego. Well, I think his, you know, his, I think, you know, the most important primary relationship in both Guardians of the Galaxy movies is really his relationship to Meredith Quill. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we have it revealed that the secondary uh, relationship is really his relationship with Yondu. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, I think ego exists in the movie in a lot of ways, just so we can have that. We can see what it is that Yandu means to uh, mm. Peter Quill. Again, was that something that you you had planned from the off? This idea that it would be almost a, a space version of My Two Dads with with Peter <laughs> caught between Greg Evigan and you know and it was it was very early on that I thought this is a story that could be a story about. You know, a young man in New York City who was raised by an abusive stepfather and yeah. finds out his dad is a Wall Street millionaire and, um, you know, it gets taken in by him. And, and really, even though his stepfather's imperfect, he's his real father. He's uh, He loves him. And that's mm-hmm. the most important thing. Uh, you mentioned uh, Meredith Quill, how important she is to Peter and how important she is to the to the, the two films in general. Yeah. Uh, obviously, brought Laura Haddock back. Yes. Uh, was part of that, uh, A, to you know give her something to do again this time around or was it also to plant a seed in the audience's mind reminder of her importance to Ada Plot and also Peter I think both of those things I mean I think it you know it was to really tell the story this is the story of Peter Quill's parents we start with a flashback once again we get to meet uh, both of his parents and I think we kind of get an idea about why she was in love with you know young ego yeah well you, you could not be yeah, exactly. It's look, Kurt Russell. Look at that that w- scary, uncannily accurate CG Kurt Russell. What's it going on? Keeps getting better, doesn't it? It does. It I mean, keeps yeah. getting better. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be scary. Pretty soon, you're not gonna need any actual actors. It's yeah, gonna, I know. It's gonna be. I know. It's gonna be weird. But uh, uh, what was the model for young Kurt Russell in that? Uh, you take him from as used uh, cars, or you take him from something? Yeah, it was mostly yeah. used cars era. Uh-huh. That's the, we 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 went through maps of different part, you know, different you know times in Kurt Russell's life, and it was mostly used cars era. Yeah. We I wanted him to be he's still older than Meredith Quill and we actually aged down Laura a little bit as well which you know so Laura you know uh, Meredith Quill is you know in her late teens very very early 20s at most and and Ego is still in his 30s so there's a there's a you know significant age difference between the two of them even there wow Uh, and again the 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 importance of Meredith in the the plot can't be overstated there's the 
I think it's a really crucial line, which is uh, Peter says, "You shouldn't have killed my mom and squished my Walkman." Yeah, uh, <laughs> now, yeah, which shows you. Well, I'm not sure which one is more important to him, but you know, obviously, the squishing my Walkman is the punctuation on the moment. <laughs> but in the way he he thinks of them almost as the same thing, doesn't he? Um, uh, yeah, I think yeah. they are. They're very they're very interwoven. It's funny because in that scene, I wrote a big speech that Peter Quill said about you know because you can't love anyone but yourself and blah 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 and they're sad and all this stuff and it was this sort of moving speech and then Chris and I came up with this you know you should have killed my mom or squished my Walkman line <laughs> and just put that and I'm like God it's it's better it's more simple it's easier <laughs> it works yeah it's good um, and again going back to to Meredith uh, and ego. Uh, coming up with the ego's plan uh, because it's a very intimate movie. It yeah. doesn't hop around necessarily the way the last Guardians did. It, once we land yes. on ego's planet, we're pretty much on ego's planet yeah. for, for the for the rest of the film. Uh, and his plan involving Peter and trying to get Peter back into the fold obviously has a wider context in terms of the universe and, and threatening yeah. the galaxy. Is part of that uh, do you, you having to come up with a plot that means the Guardians of the Galaxy have to actually guard the galaxy? Or um, you know. Uh, I think it was, you know, for me, again, it was really just about his ego overtaking everything mm. and what that means, what that means to the character and what that means to the movie. And it was about Brandy, you know, the song that they discuss and how, you know, Kurt Russell sees that song or ego sees that song. I, I'll, I interchangeably call the characters <laughs> by their character name and by their actor That's name. Fair enough. Um, I used to never do it when I was younger. I never called the character by the actor name. And as I've gotten older, I I probably call him Chris Pratt more often than I call him Peter Quill because he is an element of Chris Pratt, you know? And so when we're talking about it, it is, it's Chris Pratt and Kurt Russell. That's what it is to the audience. And so I talk about it a lot in that way. Absolutely. Uh, how much do you have to work on the reveal, holding back the reveal of Ego? Um, you know, it was, that was the, I don't want to say the hardest thing about the movie, but it was the strangest thing about this movie because, I, I you know, Early on, when we were making the movie, I knew that we didn't reveal the fact that Ego is totally evil until, um, you know, fairly, you know, halfway through the film. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and even then we just knew there was something wrong with him. And then we don't really learn how evil he is until about two thirds of the way through the film. Um, and, I, you know, I thought for sure in the marketing materials, we're going to have to sell the fact that this was about the Guardians fighting a living planet. Mm. Um, I didn't think that Marvel was going to be as cool as they were in selling the movie and holding everything back from the marketing. Yeah. Um, so... So it was a weird situation where you're telling a plot point that also has a relationship to what the marketing is, where the marketing is 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 perhaps going to give away the plot point. And so then do I just give it away earlier in the film? There was a, a version of the screenplay where I had where I had gave away the fact that he was evil in the very first scene. Mm -hmm. But what happened was we showed the movie. We showed the movie to some test audiences. And most of the people in the audience didn't know that Kurt Russell was the bad guy. And I was like, <laughs> shoot. So I actually went back and changed a couple of things in the movie a little bit so that it was even less, you know, we were less aware that it, Kurt Russell was the bad guy so that when okay. it does come, yeah. which is a weird time. I mean, I think it comes when Mantis is talking to Drax and says, there's something here you don't know about. Yeah. And I think when that happens, the audience is automatically like, oh, wait a second. Yeah. There's, you know, 
But uh, there, there are notes of there are discomforting notes from the off. You know, Mantis's body language around ego is is very telling. Yeah, yeah, it is. I think she's such an uncomfortable character in yeah. general that you know how much of that is due to ego and how much of that is due to the fact that she is just completely socially awkward is yeah. is a question. Uh, when did you hit upon the idea that that uh, just to really push ego over the edge, he had killed? Oh, Mary. I knew that from the beginning of the first. I knew that from long before you know that was I knew that before I started the first movie oh wow I knew that when she was talking about a being of pure light in the first movie in the first scene of the first movie that that was the man who killed her um, that was always a, a part of what the the first story was in my head. Wow! And do, do you think Ego? You know, he seems to be genuine about his his love for Meredith. And I think, he sees it as a mercy killing, almost in in, in a way. Do you do you think he's, he's bullshit? I, I there, think or? it's. I think it's. I think it's. It's. I think he he feels those feelings of love. Mm. Um, you know, there there used to be a little bit more in earlier drafts of the script where Ego was very fascinated by being able to feel, now that he has a human brain, yeah. he's able to feel these human emotions. So he's able to experience them. But he experiences them in a way that he doesn't really put any meaning or purpose on them. So that he experiences love, but he doesn't, he, he, he just thinks of that as a thing to overcome. Pretty simply, and he does it pretty easily. Um, so... Uh, in some ways, that makes him worse. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, in, in the last movie, Ronan was pretty much of a sociopath and uh, didn't have that sort of, you know, and does that make him, I mean, you know, better or worse? Who knows? But but I think that Ego's a, a pretty bad guy because of yeah. that. I don't know if you stuck around for last night's screening, but that 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 admission from yeah. Ego provoked audible gasps. That's it. It, it has in almost every screening I've been in. It's yeah. a big, big gasp when, when they learn that. You know, and it's funny because the audience, and that's, you know, it's one of the things about the movie that's difficult putting together because people are way more invested in Ego threatening the Guardians mm. than they are in Ego <laughs> destroying complete other planets. Yeah, yeah. And that's why the other planet stuff is kind of minimal in the movie. You know, it doesn't yeah. have that much stuff happening. What we really focus on is the fact that he's about to kill Drax and Mantis <laughs> and Gamora, you know. And, and, and the thing that sets Peter off is the fact that he killed his mother. I mean, that's what, you know, he's he just heard he's going to kill Billions and trillions of people on different planets, and he's kind of going along with it. <laughs> but when he hears that, you know, he killed his mother, he's like, "What? Oh, that's too far, man." Yeah. Too, and then he squishes a Walkman, and then all bets are and off. Then, and yeah, then, just, then, yeah. then, then he's wow. that the ego sealed his fate at that point. <laughs> of course, Peter is completely unaware that uh, through his actions on the ego's planet, uh, that he has actually saved his granddad. Yes, uh, I love that little cameo from uh, from Greg Henry. Yes, yes, it's a very small. I'm glad that you saw that. That's yeah. uh, that's a pretty hard to pick out. That that that. Uh, He's driving a driving up a, a Ford, <laughs> and then he shows up again at the end, dancing. and he's dancing at the end. That's good too. Yeah, <laughs> along with Jeff Goldblum. What the hell is Jeff Goldblum doing dancing in your credits? Well, you know he's going to be in Thor Ragnarok, and uh-huh. so we got a, we had a little footage of him dancing. We're like, well, let's put this in. I was kind of you know we really had a good time putting those credits together because yeah, yeah. you know end credits are never interesting. They're always <laughs> just you know you know just just the uh, just black on white credits almost always. Yeah. And so we you know once we started putting five end credit scenes in we uh you know we wanted to have the the credits themselves we're like let's make them cool to look at and fun to look at let's put fun stuff in there and, and it, it made it really fun and i think it yeah. makes it fun for the audience then to sit through the whole thing yeah you have the i am groot changing into people's credits and, yep. yeah yeah and then yeah. Dan goldblum turns up i mean personally i think jeff goldblum should be in every credit sequence of yeah. every movie ever <laughs> dancing or not dancing just standing there it's all good uh but the credits the credits are fun and obviously it's it's partly 
meta joke about post-credit stings in Marvel movies. Yes. But also, you are setting things up. Oh, huge, huge, huge things. Yeah. Much more so than on the, you know, in the first movie, you know, I... We set up, I get, we didn't really set up anything in the first movie. We had a cute thing with Baby Groot. Yeah. And then, you know, we had a, had the ending with Howard the Duck, which was really just a joke. Yeah. Um, in this one, we set up Adam Warlock, which we're definitely setting up. We set up the fact that Kraglin has inherited uh, Yandu's powers. We set up... Uh, Is he not part of the Guardians, Kraglin? No, I don't think he's part of the Guardians, but he's, he's I would call him an adjunct member of the Guardians. You know, <laughs> he's, he's around. He's not very good at using that arrow. Does he see. have voting rights? <laughs> he doesn't have voting rights. Oh, I don't you think, you know, I think Rocket has all the voting rights in that group. <laughs> um, but the, uh, but yeah, and then, you know, and then, you know, Stakar and his gang. Yeah. You know, all those, all those credit sequences were in the script except for the Stakar one. That one I came up with after the fact, you know. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I liked the, I liked the guys at the end and I thought they were cool and I, and I liked the idea of creating a couple of characters uh, that were even more screwy than Rocket and Groot with Krugar and uh, Mainframe, yeah. who are the two yeah, other yeah. characters, along with Alita and uh, Charlie 27 and, and Martin X at the end. Interesting. So that's pretty much the original Guardians team, yeah. isn't it, by and large? It's well, not, Krugar and Mainframe yeah. were kind of Guardians at one point or yeah, another, yeah. but I thought, I, you know... I'm all about the Krugar. I mean, I'm into Krugar. He's a he's a he's a sorcerer. He's got right. you know some Doctor Strange powers, but he can't talk. He's got no mouth. So we created these sort of he talks through these sort of uh, you know <laughs> these these uh, occult emojis. Okay, okay, interesting. Yeah, interesting. So yeah. we'll see all these people in three. You think? Um, I think that you have to wait and see. I think yeah. that you know. I I I think that the plan is is that we're going to try to work them in in, in different places. But mm. you know, Kevin and I are talking about a lot of different paths that you know we could take with Marvel Cosmic and who's going to go where and what yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and how. Um, you only have so much room for uh, you know in Guardians Three, and uh, I don't want to add a billion characters. You know, especially because we're going to be coming off of Infinity War where there's a billion characters. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and they, the Russos have been doing a great job with that. And so um, I think we, we want to stay a little more simple with the Guardians movies. What I thought was interesting about this movie as well is that it doesn't, it doesn't set up the Guardians going into Infinity War. It doesn't yeah. set up anything. There was mention of Thanos. There's one mention of Infinity Stones. Yep. And that's it. Yep. It's a standalone, as I think any Marvel movie has been for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was important. You know, I mean, I think if anything... I think we we set up a little bit of, you know, for me, I'm always thinking about what the emotional lives of the characters are. And I think we set up a little bit of where Rocket needs to go by the end of that movie and what he is trying to figure out with his life. I think yeah. he's got to, you know, he's the one with the most damage. Uh, and he's uh, he's 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 a very interesting character to me. Um yeah, and uh, before we get on to that, actually, I just want to ask about one other post-credits thing, which is Teen Groot. Yes. Uh, now, are you... Uh, That's Adolescent Groot. Adolescent Groot. Not yet a okay. teenager, more like Tween Groot. <laughs> tween Groot. Uh, okay. I haven't gotten to Teen Groot yet. <laughs> uh, it, as with the, the last movie, where you set up Baby Groot and then kept Baby Groot for this movie, are you hoping, planning to maybe keep that version of Groot around for the next one? Because that would be really interesting. Well, Groot's going to appear in another two movies, or you know, so yeah, of before before yeah. he's in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. So I think okay. we have to wait to see what happens. <laughs> see what yeah. happens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then uh, let's talk about Rocket a little bit as well, because the the end of the movie is fascinating. I always, uh, I'm always a big fan of how Marvel movies end, uh, and fascinated to see where you ended the film. Yeah, and you ended it on Rocket. Yeah, uh, close up a Rocket. T 
tear running down his cheek. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about that decision? Well, I, you know, I, I think that that was a pretty organic choice. Um, I think that Rocket is, um, he is the most, he and Nebula, I think, have a lot of things in common. And I think they're also the two most screwed up members of the Guardians. Mm. I think they, you know, but Rocket is the most. He was a little animal who was incredibly innocent and was just living his animal life and was taken and, you know, had experiments performed upon him and he was turned into this thing. He is Frankenstein's monster. Mm. Never known any infection his entire life, doesn't know how to deal with it. A huge percentage of the movie is dealt with Rocket not being able to deal with intimacy. Yeah. He took on, you know, this this thing of friendship in the first movie and he's obviously not equipped to deal with that in the second movie. And so he pushes everyone away and he's an absolute jerk. Um, and, and I think that that's something he needs to deal with. But I also think that he has no sense of, of purpose. I think he has the, whatever the opposite of purpose is, that is what rocket has because people were brought into, you know, life by other means. And he was just, he's just, created by someone for for something that he's not doing Mm. and so um i think at the end we see a little glimpse of him maybe having a glimpse of something more you Mm. know he sees and i think he feels a lot of guilt at the end i think he he is the only one in that group that would have been able to make the choice that he does where he shoots gamora and he stops her from getting off of uh the ship um and he knows that Yandu's going to die at that point. He knows everything that's going to happen. He knows that Quill's going to live. He knows that Yandu's going to sa- sacrifice his life. And he's letting Yandu do it. Mm. Um, and that's something you know. we see that Gamora's not going to let happen. And we hear Drax, and Drax isn't going to let happen. Uh, he's yelling, you know, where's, where's Quill? Where's Quill? Where's Quill? Uh, but Rocket is a pragmatist. And he realizes that that's the way it has to be. It's interesting as well that Yandu is the catalyst for that. That's and, a, uh, this is a film of unlikely alliances: Drax and Mantis, Yondu yeah. and, and Rocket. Well, I think Rocket and Yondu are. I think that I think Rocket finds a father in Yondu um, that he never had, and I think that Yondu finds a second son in Rocket after you know a long, or maybe a third son. I would say Craglin and, and Peter Quill and 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 Rocket and uh, uh, and it's. Uh, I think for Rocket, that, that give, making that sacrifice at the end is very difficult. And I think seeing the arrow is the sign of something beyond. There's something more, you mm-hmm. know. And that's the first glimpse he has of anything like that in his life. Uh, Yondu's obviously given a, a much greater role in this movie. Uh, also has one of the best lines. I'm <laughs> Mary Poppins, y'all. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but the, the, the relationship between Yondu and Rocket is interesting. You have that moment between Peter and Ego where they're playing catch with each other with, yeah. the, with the ball. Yeah. Uh, in a weird way, I've just kind of realized that the the ravaging of the ravagers sequence, as I'm going to call it now, uh, that's their equivalent of playing. That is their play, equivalent. Isn't? That's their equivalent of playing catch. Yeah, yeah, they are. They're both. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a. I mean, they are both murderous <laughs> sobs. They yeah, really are. Yeah. As is Baby Groot, you know. So the three of them together really love to kill people, and it's a sort of strange aspect of Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, you're not going to see, you know, uh, you know, uh, you're not going to see, you know, Black Widow and Hawkeye gleefully killing hundreds of people in some musical montage. Uh, you know, it's just not going to happen. Um, but we do have these three characters. I think there's a different sort of morality in outer space. I think it's a, you know, even though 
they're technologically ahead of us. There's yeah, a sort yeah. of medieval philosophy in outer space that's much different than what we have uh, here on Earth. I think we're a little bit more, in yeah. some to some ways, more advanced uh, ethically than they are out there. <laughs> this is true. But w- 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 did you get pushback in that sequence? Because that is, no. <laughs> I mean, you, you you have you set up the Ravagers. I mean, they are bad people. They're bad, yeah. and then. Terrible things happen to them, yeah. Uh, and obviously, it's a it's a moment of, of glory for these characters. But were you worried about pushing it too far? Yeah. With with uh, with Rocket. I, I was I was afraid we weren't going to get a PG thirteen rating because of that scene. So yeah, I was definitely af- afraid of pushing it too far. Um, though you know, I think the only thing there was never really people liked the scene so much, you know, that it was uh, and it was a lot of work to do that scene. So it was it was. Uh, it was something that people loved, so I never really had a problem with it. I think that there was question about when uh, um, my buddy Evan, um, who plays one of the Ravagers, who smashes, he basically curb stomps Baby Groot. Yes. He kicks him once, uh-huh. which everybody's cool with, and then he curb stomps him. There was some discussion <laughs> about whether it was cool that he was curb stomping Baby Groot, and that was a matter of mixed opinion um, among the uh the, you know, the, 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 my, my insiders. Who, that was the moment. Yeah. That was, that yeah. was, the, that was a matter of mixed opinion, but I, I felt like it was something that we needed to have because he's about to murder that man. <laughs> uh, vengeance is his. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, so it's, uh, what's the song in that sequence again? I, I wasn't. Come confused. a little bit closer by Jay and the American. Just come a little bit closer. Yeah. And, and the music in the film is, is fascinating as well. Uh, did you always start with Mr. Blue Sky? I mean, obviously you'd start with, with, uh, um, no, not always. I went through a lot of different possibilities for that sequence, but I think Mr. Blue Sky is a song. I, number one, I really love it. I've often said that if, if, if the Guardians had a house band, I think it would be ELO. We had a song in the first movie that I cut from the film, Living Thing, which I regret, sort of. Um, and uh, putting Mr. Blue Sky at the beginning is great. It, for me, Mr. Blue Sky is a very happy song. Um, and Jeff Lynn says it's a very it's a song about a sunny day. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. But there's a very malevolent and scary ending to that song where it says, you know, here it is, you know, here comes Mr. Knight creeping over. Now his hand is on your shoulder. It's such a creepy ending to the <laughs> song. And you realize, you know, there's this brightness and wonder. But below it, there's something very dark and malevolent happening. And I think it's very much like what the movie is. Yeah. And uh, the idea to have the, the battle, the opening spate, the opening battle happen largely in the background out of focus yeah. while Mr. Blue Sky plays is uh, amazing. It gets, uh, it gets the film off to a great start. I it, think that's a perfect Guardians thing. You know, yeah. it's, it's that the important thing is not the thing that's important in other movies. The important things are little character moments and little beats that are happening between the characters, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, in this moment, that's what's important is, is Baby Groot having a good time and getting involved in mischief while everyone in his family is about to be murdered by this giant beast. <laughs> um, and it, what's so funny is that it takes so much work to do the background part, but really what people are watching is Baby Groot. Absolutely. Which is you, isn't it? Yeah, it's me it's, dancing. It's yeah, happy, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and did you always end with father and son? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, since I, uh, since very early on, I mean, listen, uh, when I first wrote I write very, very in-depth treatments. Mm. So that's where most of my writing gets done. The script is easy once I get done with the treatment because okay. the treatment is so well beaded out and they're like 70 pages long. And You have dialogue beats in there. There's dialogue yeah. in there, jokes in there, there's photographs in there for reference and all sorts of stuff. But the, um, but originally I, I couldn't kill Yandu. And um, uh, I had him do the basic thing where, you know, he does his sacrificial moment and then he's saved and he comes back to life. 
Uh, and the reason I did that was because I love Michael Rooker more than almost anyone in the world, for real. Mm. And I couldn't imagine making a movie without him. And I still, to this day, the one thing that I'm most frightened about is is that I'm not going to have Michael Rooker beside me as I make the next movie. Yeah. But as I worked on it more, I, I realized that the true story was that he really was you know, going to sacrifice his life. And that's what was necessary for the story. And that was a hard, hard choice for me to make. Um, so once I made that choice, then father, uh, father and son became a part of the, the movie. It's really fascinating because it's, it's such a somber end to a movie that has been yeah. bright and fun and colorful. And you have, it's a very interesting, you end on Yondu's funeral, you end on the ramifications it has on the other characters. Yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't end in an upbeat way. Well, you know, listen, is it upbeat or is it not? I mean, I think it's very, you know, it's, it's, I find it very upbeat, you, you know, upbeat, downbeat. It's like, yeah. it's not. But it's not rabble rousing. It's, it's not, you know. Yeah. It's not, it's not, yay. Yeah. It's not, hey, let's go off into space like the first movie, exactly. you know, um, I think it ends in a way, but there's a, it ends with meaning, you know? I mean, there's things in there that get me choked up every time I see him. Every time I see, you know, Craglin, you know, doing that salute through the window and that, you know, his that joy because the guy, the man he loved, the man that was like a father to him is being acknowledged and getting everything that he'd been searching for and wanting for years and years is, is happening, you know? Um, seeing, you know, Stakar and, and his, his, his line of, you know, he did, you know, yes, mm. he, he certainly did, uh, you know, which is, you know, my note to him was, uh, that's, that'll do pig, you know, that's what, <laughs> that's what he's saying. Um, and, 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 and Sly got it right away. He's like, got it, got it, you know? <laughs> and, uh, it's nice to learn the closet babe fan. Yeah, you know, nice. I'm a huge, huge babe fan, actually. <laughs> so, um, I think that, uh, you know, and then, and then, and then Rocket having that moment of hope at the end, we get, you know, we get the moment between Peter Quill and Gamora where she says that basically she says that she loves him, um, which I find very touching. She doesn't do it in the way that's the big Hollywood kiss, which we struggled with a lot, whether we should put a big Hollywood kiss in the movie. Mm-hmm. But I find that their 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 relationship is based on friendship and the way it ends is is so much more real and true to who they are. Um and uh, and I think so. That all those, you know, the, the the you know the beautiful line, the joke of Drax of so are yes. you on the inside, yeah. you know, which is kind of beautiful too because it's obvious he's learned how to, you know, use figurative language in a way that he didn't know in the first movie. So there's all sorts of of, of little gems there at the very end of of the movie that are upbeat. The Zune. You know, mm-hmm. yes. Um, was it always a soon? By the way, some people have uh, uh, written in who've seen the movie already. Uh, asked me, was it meant to be an iPod? Uh, God uh, no. As I said, that's so stupid. The, jo- the joke is, it's a soon. The joke is, it's a soon. The joke is, is, is craglin. Believe me, we try to deal with Microsoft to get the. You know, and they're like, we want nothing to do with the Zoom. Uh, we don't have anything. You know, yeah, don't don't worry. Don't put a Zoom in. We don't want to have anything to do with it. Like, uh, you know, it's like they. It's it's the whole idea is that that's how they see, they get very. Very distant messages of what's going on on Earth, and in that case, I think the Zune is the basic mode of listening to music. Absolutely. So, um, obviously, it has, I can see how much it's torn you up inside to to kill off Yondu yeah. and uh, Michael Rigger in this. Uh, 
can you talk a little bit about the manner in which he he goes, the, the, the way in which he bows out? He has a, a heroic ending, very similar to how Peter almost goes in the in the first movie. Yeah, I um, mean, yeah, he he sacrif- he very clearly makes a choice to sacrifice himself for the sake of his son, and you know, and and gives him the line, you know, you know, he may have been your father boy, but he, he wasn't your daddy, yeah. and that's I think what the movie is a that is the core of the movie. Mm. Um, Yandu is is Peter Quill's dad, and it doesn't matter uh, whose uh, sperm he came from. What matters is who loved him and who raised him, and, and that was Yandu. The interesting thing is that we see the very first time we meet Yandu in the movie, he's in a moment of reflection, and you can tell he's not uh, happy he's with his loss. Very unhappy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, what a, a very you know. Listen, I you know I know that you know it seems that most you know. The, the one who's being lauded the most in the movie for their performance is Michael Rooker, which I'm very happy about. Um, but that's a very brave moment where he's without a shirt, his belly sticking out, he's got his, you know, and he's just, he's in a in a room in a brothel with three robot yeah. girl whores, basically. Yeah. And um, he's a, a completely unhappy guy. Yeah, he's been through a very functional moment, I'm, I'm guessing, as yeah. well, at that <laughs> yeah, point. Yeah. Uh, not a lot of joy in it for... No, for, no, for no joy. He's, he's been point. in that brothel too many yeah. times over the years. And, and you know, there's something very sad about being in a brothel where, you know... I mean, and being in any brothel is pretty sad, but being in one where they, the people who are, you know, you're having sex with can't even really see you back because they don't yeah. really have consciousness is, is uh, you know. And the moment with Stakar, I mean, uh, watching the film again last night, I, uh, I realized how you were setting up Yondu's death from the from the off with uh, Stakar saying you'll never get the uh, you'll yeah. never get the funeral, you'll never get the colors. Yeah, you'll never. Y- yeah. yeah, the the, uh, the, the horns wildlife. of freedom will 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 not uh, you know play over your your grave, and and you'll never have the, the colors of Ogard will not, which are what we see at the end, the colors of Ogard. And uh, just a couple of last things before we uh, before we wrap up. Uh, Drax, everything he says and does in this movie is perfection. Yeah, uh, and uh, how. Difficult is it as a writer to deploy Drax and Baby Groot correctly? Because the temptation would be to just give them everything to do in, in scenes and just have them well uh, say silly stuff forever. Well, no, because it's it's got to mean something, yeah. you know? I mean, it's like, it's got to mean something. And, and there's there's times I pulled back on Baby Groot especially. Um, Batista really killed it. Um, he, he just killed it. He came in and he had upped his game from the first movie. He was the one with the least amount of experience on the first film. And so he learned the most between the first and second film um, and, and got the most, most better uh, of anybody in the cast. And that was a, uh, that was a, that was a great thing. And I love, I love Dave and uh, he and I work incredibly well together and writing Drax is very easy for me. And uh, Hasselhoff. Yeah. Where did that come from? Uh, you know, listen, I think it's just a matter of who, when, when Peter Quill was a kid, who would he think of as his big heroes? And we know about Kevin Bacon. We, we heard a little bit about John Stamos <laughs> in the first movie, but I think David Hasselhoff is really the guy who he really looks up to. And, um, I found a certain amount of humor in it and, uh, and, uh, you know, and so that first scene was the, the first scene I wrote between him and Gamora, where I always love Gamora oh, really? saying, maybe this man is your Hasselhoff, you know? <laughs> and then that, the, the idea that he's still carrying around a photograph of Hasselhoff in his wallet. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, of course, then we have the big joke moment where we, Kurt Russell takes on the form of Hasselhoff, which is a very funny moment. But it's also an incredibly dark moment because you realize everything that Ego has done has been basically to, like, seduce 
Peter yeah. Quill. Like yeah. the form of Kurt Russell is the form of Kurt Russell. It's not really who that guy is. Um, so there's that, and then uh, and then at the speech at the end, which I I, I really love, uh, Peter Quill's speech at the end about Hasselhoff and Yondu and how they're the same person, and that thing that you wanted so badly was there the whole time. You just didn't know it. <laughs> I was just going to say that uh, I said earlier on that there were no connections to previous Marvel movies, but of course. Hasselhoff was Nick Fury. Yeah, in the old, in the old school, yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And let me tell you, David's the the nicest guy. He's the best guy, and you know, we recorded the song for the yeah. end of the movie, and he is just he's he's a great guy. It was a joy working with him, uh, having him come in. He was the first guy I've ever worked with that. People were starstruck on set, and suddenly crews. And you know, you've been on movie sets before. Yeah. Like crews are used to being around movie stars, and they're always a little bit deferring, and you know, whatever. But David Hasselhoff, the crew themselves, formed a big line to get their picture taken with them after he came in and shot for you know two or three hours, however long we shot that bit for. Well, of course, he's got a talking car. He's got a talking car. Yeah, he's huge in Germany. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a magic boat. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, we have a Zardu. We you know we made Zardu Hasselfrau shirts. That was like the one of the departments. Like I think the sound department maybe made Zardu Hasselfrau shirts. That really, uh, yeah. And it has a mat. It has a picture of Hasselhoff's face. It says Zardu Hasselfrau, and it has a magic boat on it. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, and just really quickly, we we run through a number of planets as uh, in that, uh, that great sequence where uh, where Rocket and Yondu are jumping through the. Uh, the yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's weird and freaky. I loved it. Uh, that's just the funniest thing in the movie to me. That's the one thing that makes me laugh every every single time I see the one shot of Rooker with his mouth huge screaming. <laughs> it makes me laugh. Uh, what planets do we bounce through? Are they uh, well, delineated in any way? Or uh, is, it just, is it just random planets? M- most of them aren't delineated. I, I think that we don't really, you know, we just start trying to make the craziest mm. places we possibly could. Yeah. Yeah. Anika Stanley. And then we got Stan Lee, who's dealing, he's working for the Watchers, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was a lot of fun. Where did that idea come from? You know, the fans, I think, have always have had this, this Stan Lee is the Watcher theory. And so yeah. I love the Watchers, and I thought it would be a fun thing to put in the movie is, you know, you know it makes sense that he's... Yes, yeah. he's, he's. It kind of makes sense. It, it kind of doesn't make sense too. But but you know, having him work for the Watchers, I think worked. And I loved putting him in like that fishbowl, um, you know, spacesuit. That sort of you know you know uh, what is it? is it? Wally Wood. It was the the, the old uh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know uh, comic artist did that sort of old pulp looking spacesuit. And it's validation of the theory. Yeah, as, validation as you say, of the theory. You know, that he has. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same Stan Lee in, in all the movies. It's, yes, exactly. Uh, so he's a FedEx man. It's always it's Stan. Yeah. Um, and just a couple of last things about the, the soundtrack. Uh, you use the chain twice. That's that's yeah. interesting. Can you talk about and that? And I used Brandy three times. Brandy three times, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, in this movie, uh, the chain acts as sort of a theme song for the Guardians. Uh, in a way no song really has. And so I think that we hear it once and we hear it once. It, that's It's a song that's about a potential breakup, in a, you know, um, and we hear the song once and it's, a, it's, it's about the breakup. And then the next time we hear it, it's about that they can't, you know, they can't break the chain. They're going to be together um, and you cannot break it. There's something between those characters that will never be broken. Um, yeah. yeah, it's 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 the talking. It's the evolution from friends to family. Yes, I mean this this movie talks about family as much as Fast Eight does. But here for me, it comes from a very genuine place. I, I hope uh, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then just one last thing: the the soon 
300 songs. 300 songs, yes. I mean, you're going to have your work cut out for Volume 3, aren't you? I mean, that's... Well, I don't think we need to put all 300 of them in Volume 3. You know, I mean, I think that, you know, we I can probably... Should. We can save a few songs for, for later. Have you started thinking about the, the songs yet? Oh, my God, I'm, I'm killing myself over it. It's, it's a... It's a I won't say I have it all worked out because I don't, you know, I know a lot of volume three stuff of what's going on, but the the music is a, is a hard thing to, to figure out. You'll do it. You'll, you'll I'll do figure it, it out. Brilliant. Yeah. James Gunn. It's been a pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. So that was James Gunn. Uh, and now we are going to get into the meat of the movie and talk about some of the stuff he obviously talked about, but some things I didn't talk about, like we were just saying here, Helen, uh, how I forgot to ask him about the fact that this movie is set Roughly 2014, mm. 2015 at a stretch because it takes place 34 years after 1980. So put my information into the calculator here. <laughs> 2014. That's amazing, Chris. Unless, of course, uh-huh. Meredith Quill didn't have Peter until late December of 1980, in which case 14 years. No, it'll be But she wasn't visibly pregnant in that in that clip. I thought she was like, you know... Like maybe a little bit, but like... Like a little glowing? Yeah, but it's 34 years later, so logically it'd be yeah, 2014. 2014. Again, you've, you've, you've nailed me down the logic point, haven't you? <laughs> With so mathematics. I think another reason for this, another reason for them setting it 34 years... Uh, after, you, you were going to say your theory. Well, the, 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 it is not just my theory. It is out there on the internet that um, this is to allow Baby Groot to grow up basically, uh-huh. before Infinity War. So we've got a, a more powerful Groot back on side. And of course, we see in the one of the many post-credits things, yes. the teenage Groot. Yes. So he's clearly growing fast. So this film is set really only a few months after the first film. So Groot actually goes grows quite quickly, um, is the, is the yeah. theory. Like the life cycle of Ridley Scott's Alien. <laughs> That's another spoiler special, Chris. Oh, yes. We'll come back to that. Okay, we'll, we'll do um, that another time. <laughs> another time. Yeah, one of, my, one of my theories as well was that it was so that uh, Star-Lord would be 34 years old and not 37. And it just feels to me <laughs> that there's... It just feels to me that there's a, there's a whole thing about perception of stars and ageing and... Oh, know. you think it, they're lying about his age. Marvel think, is basically lying about his age. I think if Chris Pratt were seen to be 37 in this film, I mean, we James Gunn and I had a chat about how the film is, you know, revolves around ego. And I just wondered if maybe a little bit of that bled into the the off-screen stuff. Just, just a small thing, just a small thing. But would you rather be considered to be 34 years old or 37 years old? I mean, I think that's a trick question. But 34? <laughs> I will also take 34. <laughs> Um, so the whole film is about lying about Star-Lord's age? No, I think Star-Lord is 34. Okay. But I think it's it's about making Chris Pratt 34 ah. rather than 37. Right. Yeah? Fair enough. That's just, that's just a small thing. Just a small thing. Uh, anyway, one of the things we did was uh, I asked for you to send me in your questions about this film. And oh, my God, I think we have probably broken the record here for the number of questions we've had for a film. Uh, many of them cover the same ground. That's fine. Um, but uh, people have been sending in questions to me via Twitter, via Twitter DM. Mm. Uh, so Fancy. you guys haven't seen these. No. no. So we're going to be we're going to be tackling. We're going in super blind. prepared. Super prepared. Uh, super blind. Uh, but before we do, let's just get a general overview of where you f- what you felt about the movie and where you feel it, it fits into uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe as, as an entity. Uh, John. I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. As a film within the MCU, I thought it was really interesting when you compare it to something like Civil War, which is 
in, inescapably intertwined with the rest of the universe. And this didn't feel like, you know, there was much connection to it. I mean, the original Guardians was uh, very much its own entity the first time around. Yeah. It, it sort of existed above and beyond the, the the sort of the Avengers side of things, mm. and and this one even more so. I really really felt like it stood out on its own. I um, I think I I agree with your sort of four star review, Chris. I think um, you know, it's so do I. It's <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you still stand by that. Um, weeks later, actually, there's some things I don't stand by. Okay, it's interesting because you see a film a couple of times. You you see the film once and you write the review, yeah. and then you see it, you know, because it's spoiler special. So I saw it again, yeah. and there were certain things that I didn't like about the film that eased somewhat for me on okay. the second viewing and then on the third viewing I completely Stockholm Syndrome myself into into loving it and now I think it's a 10 star film so I'm and, totally and on board with it we don't have 10 stars so this is uh, this is pretty exciting well but, I've only seen it the once okay. um, and I don't know yes I know this is this is <laughs> I'm not quite as uh, obsessive as you guys but Boy. professional I, I, I think I, is the word you're looking for professional that's correct I, I think um, I think I would enjoy it as much the second time I think the, the the thing I feel about this movie is I think there are some problems with it I, unavoidably I think there are some things about characters and plotting that maybe are a little weak but it's such a such a ride it's mm. such an enjoyable thrill it's I think it's funnier than the first movie I think it's in some ways more entertaining than the first movie I think the joke rate is really high and it's really colourful and well executed and just likeable um, so yeah I it's, it's hard not to not now, to get on board. Now, this is going to be. This, maybe, this may surprise some people. But Helen, who, like me, has been drinking the Marvel Kool Aid since mm, the beginning. Delicious. You're not such a fan of this film, are you? No. I did like it more the second time, but I really didn't like it the first time. Mmm, tasty so, Kool Aid. <laughs> Have Kool-Aid. some more of this Kool Aid. Mmm, was, delicious. You will soon see. You will no, come around to my uh, way of thinking. I, I agree about the look of the film. I loved how it looked and how colourful and, and outrageous it was. Um, I agree. Like house. We're going to have to talk about the whole connections to the rest of the MCU because I do think that's a really interesting point and it's something I want to touch on. Um, but. My problem was I didn't find it as funny as the first film uh, and I find it really uh, kind of slightly chaotic and mm. I like my films to feel more streamlined is the wrong word, but just propulsive maybe. I don't know. I just, it meanders, doesn't it? It meandered a lot it and it meandered through territory yeah. that irritates me, well, like daddy issues. Well, and we know you have I a know, thing daddy issues. And also like... Um, just little unnecessary annoyances like uh you know you've got your space pirates who are virtually all men michelle yo aside and they go to brothels which are entirely female which seems like a failure of imagination and it just but the robot brothels Helen. yeah the robot, robot bro- brothels. yeah but all female robots like it doesn't make any sense well we didn't you don't, you don't see everything on that planet there might no, be an but all you male see, brothel but like there, i was looking know? at the skyline second time around and they're all female signs okay. like it's 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 a missed opportunity to be you know, forward thinking and think outside the confines the of Earth. The Ravagers don't seem like a very forward thinking group. Anyway, the Ravagers that's are true. something that we will, but the Ravagers, we will yeah, get onto, and uh, that's one of my. So yeah, so there issues. were there were irritations. I, yeah. I I I find it annoying that you know I get that Gamora and Nebula are much more serious characters than everyone else, but I felt like they had to do all of the seriousness while the guys were off having all of the fun, and it just kind of war on me a little bit so yeah I, I like there's a lot to love in it baby Groot mm-hmm. obviously adorable mm-hmm. 
Uh, Rocket Raccoon, I felt, was slightly marooned. He had a storyline and then it just kind of dropped away to nothing, which I thought was a shame. Uh, Drax, I liked a lot. Mantis, I had big problems with how they treated her. Um, Star-Lord, I find strangely... Absent He's peripheral, isn't he? he yeah. it's, it's weird because the film is... It's uh, all about him and yet not. Yeah, I mean, he. I think if you probably boil it down to screen time, weirdly, he probably doesn't get as much as... Uh, who? Well, Rocket or Yondu. I mean, um, mm-hmm. not not my interview, but in another interview, I read that James Gunn said that he considered Yondu to be the, the main character in this film, mm. uh, which is... Slightly weird, but then you know, uh, if you've listened to the interview with James Gunn, he actually begins to almost tear up when mm. he talks about not working with Michael Rooker and taking the decision to kill Yondu in this film really tore him apart. Um, so you can maybe see why he gave him something big to get in, you know, to get his teeth into his monkey space teeth into with uh, with this one. <laughs> um, I think you know, I think this film is is flawed. I think it, you know it is, but it is enormous fun. And the first hour, and I'm you know I'm going to repeat myself in my review. The first hour is tremendous fun. Uh, Everything I think Drax does and says in this film is perfect. Yes. The, the yeah, baby Groot's yeah. opening scene with uh, Mr. Blue Sky, which I nailed at karaoke the other night, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I really didn't. I, I've never <laughs> sung it before. It's like, oh, this song's much harder to sing than it seems. Oh, my God. Um, but uh, that that is one of the great opening sequences my, for me. My mm. only issue with Baby Groot is his intelligence waxed and waned <laughs> with no kind of logic. And I couldn't figure that out at all. Oh, yeah, it's just like babies. Sometimes they can open doors, sometimes they can't. Babies can open doors? Sometimes they can open tins. Don't you ever give your uh, babies, like, you don't have any babies. I don't have any babies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sometimes babies can murder men. Yeah. Or rats. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they can. Sometimes you give them a tin opener and they open the tin. Sometimes they just look at it and try and, you know. Don't give your babies tin openers is basically the moral of this story. But, um... Uh, I I love that opening sequence, but I do feel that the film meandered quite a lot. And, uh... You know, as I say in the review, about an hour in, it realizes that A, it has to have a plot, and B, it has to have a bad guy. Now, obviously, the seeds of that plot and the seeds of that bad guy, literal seeds, yeah. uh, are sown right from the off. So it's not entirely fair, I say, that, you know, to say that this film doesn't have a plot. It does. It just takes its sweet time really getting there. Yeah. In fact, I know one fairly prominent screenwriter who I will not name on this uh, who walked out of the film because he didn't like the fact that the bad guy took so long to A, reveal himself even though I think it's a revelation you can see coming a mile away uh, and B, explain what the big plan was the big master plan mm. um, so I think it's very interesting I, I yeah because they're not reacting against anything really until no they're not basically you're just watching Peter Quill and his his friends uh, just hang out, yeah. Just mm. chill around, and there's a there's a red herring, a golden herring, uh, <laughs> bad guy with Aisha, the high priestess of the sovereign. Mm. You think is going to be the baddie, and I really had a lot of fun with uh, Elizabeth Debicki and her performance. Mm. Yes. But uh, it's clear, I think, from the off that these are not the bad guys. And if, of course, if you're paying attention at the beginning, you know that it's uh, Kurt Russell is up to no good. Yeah, and at the beginning, can we just say the the de aging makeup? comes on in oh my, my goodness God. that goodness was me. astonishing to de-age Laura Haddock like that <laughs> <laughs> by what a couple of years I mean she looks amazing oh you mean no, the other one I meant the other one <laughs> the Chris other yeah super, super yeah. good yeah. Kurt Russell Kurt it's, Russell. it's I mean, astonishing what's that real hair was that CGI hair because it was <laughs> luscious and bountiful <laughs> my god 
I'm assuming it was real. Nothing, nothing CG can create that much beauty so <sighs> far. So, sorry, guys, I apologize. I don't know. I, I, Stirring I my loins in places <laughs> I Lord. did not know had been stirred by a man before. Sorry, carry on. Oh, you all right? <laughs> you all right? Wow, Just give me a minute. Need a moment? Okay, yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah, it looks amazing. I mean, the Michael Douglas yeah. and Ant-Man was freaky. The, yes. the young Robert Downey Jr. in Civil War was, was freaky. really er, impressive, yeah. This is like if you wanted to make used cars too with young Kurt Russell why would you want to make that film I don't know but it's a great film Overboard yeah. 2 Overboard 2 this time he goes overboard we can finally resolve the end <laughs> that would be amazing we can finally resolve the ending of The Thing we can finally do it we can go back because I've always thought if they wanted to make a sequel to The Thing you know, and pick it up at the moment of the of the ending. You you'd have to either cast Wyatt Russell, who does look a little bit, little bit, a little bit like his dad, uh, dye the hair, and think he can maybe get away with it, or or you're you're shit out of luck. Not anymore. Get young Kurt. I don't, want, I don't want an extra ending to the thing, though. I like it ambiguously. Yes. Like I want to leave it as it so is. So does Chris, really? Yeah. <laughs> right, Chris. Right. Charles. Oh, is, Charles is a thing. McCready is not. Okay. That's my take on it. <laughs> okay, fine. All right. Okay. Um, uh, I, I I would say though, uh, I th- I think yeah, Peter Quill is probably the weakest link uh, in this movie. And if you follow Andrew Ellard on Twitter, he's a fantastic uh, script editor and, and occasionally formerly of this parish. Uh, and he had some great notes on um, this movie, and he talks about how uh, the, the Peter Quill plot is sort of the weakest element of it, and it's the subplots that really prop up the movie, mm-hmm. and how Ego's plan is essentially to tell him his entire plan like there's no sort of eking out of him like he literally just he he tells him the 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 good the nice part of his plan and then eventually he tells him the evil part of his plan yes do you do you see like 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 his his he eventually just says that was all he was gonna do i do i i think ego is all about ego yeah Uh, and i think that's weird I, i know but i think that he he thinks that he has peter on his side by the time that he reveals the the bombshell about well, Mer- Meredith Quill, uh, Andrew. L- okay, this is Andrew Ella's tweet. His ego basically says, "I gave your mum cancer and want to kill everyone and everything you care about." Are you yeah. in? <laughs> That's his plan. Just to but say that he's so egotistical that he thinks he does. He thinks it, he can, it doesn't yeah. matter. It yeah. doesn't matter. Of course, Peter's going to be on board with this because this plan yeah. is so awesome. Because dude. of the cool powers and the living forever and the being able to hold Infinity Stones and the being able to turn into Pac Man and you know, of course, and playing catch with his dad. He finally got to oh play catch God. with his dad. I thought it was a really fun scene. It was really, funny, but really deliberately. You see, uh, yeah. when you have the issue about daddy issues, I thought that was a nice like. It, it's a self. It's a self. Yeah, that was sly. Mocking, I, I, yeah, I did. They're, I did they're, think that they're was mocking the yeah. idea of daddy yeah. issues with that ball throwing. Mm. I mean, I, do you have daddy issues? I don't know if I have daddy issues. Do you have issues with daddy issues. Daddy I issue, have issues, issues with daddy issues. Daddy issues. Yeah, issues. I, I think I just think it's a massively, massively. It's been done a million times. Yeah. But I think we, we we just don't have daddy issues. But other people. Clearly I know. I do. get that people have daddy issues. Like I understand. I mean, Beyonce I mean, has a song about it, so you know it's a real thing. <laughs> um, but it's, it's Spielberg's entire career, and I think yes. Spielberg is you know quite an influential director. So perhaps there's a. But he does genuinely have daddy. Oh, issues. Oh no, he does. He like the yeah. yeah. And, and and that's been lived out through his entire. Yeah. But you oeuvre. put yourself in Peter Quill's shoes, and he feels that you know he's gone through his life without. He's had father figures, but they've been blue space pirates with monkey teeth, <laughs> uh, who've been you know effectively abusing him all all these years. Um, 
and he's never really known who his true dad is. And so I did actually buy into that. And his reluctance no, in the beginning. I thought that it existed. His faux reluctance yeah. to kind of go, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. He's some dude. and yeah, But he knows that that's his, that's his dad. I think, listen, I'm not saying yeah. it wasn't well done. I'm saying I'm super bored of daddy issues. That's all. But did you like at fact the fact that it was his mummy issues that ultimately saved, saved the day? Him. Well, like, I would like back. it more, but like I mean, again, the, the only thing that's more worn out than daddy issues is dead mummy issues. So, it's, well, what do you want them to do, Helen? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Keep the mum and dad, and not just have a well balanced relationship. I don't know. I just like I'm. I just don't think everything needs to go back to your origin. It, mm. it doesn't matter always. It shouldn't always be about where you come from. Sometimes it should be about where you're going, and that's where a more propulsive, forward-looking plot would have been nice. So, But I can have that. I get it. I understand. Mm. I'm just, you know, gar- carping, because that's what we yeah. do. Well, it's a film about, you know, it's a, it is a film, I think, it's dominated by, by the idea of family. Family. In, in a, a family. It's the it's the second Vin Diesel Kurt Russell film of, <laughs> of, the, of month. the month to be obsessed with family, yeah. and it's the only one I think that means it. Uh, oh. Fast and Furious uses the word family, and it there's there's not an ounce of of actual. Hey uh, now, uh, come on. Well, no, well, I, I wasn't here to talk about, about Fast and Furious Eight, but I did see it on the same day I saw this for the oh. second time, and. Uh, and you're just determined to be wrong, aren't you? You're, you're going to be wrong. You're going to say fun. something wrong. I had more fun. Although I have, Any I have big issues. Any family with The Rock in is a better family. Come yeah, on. Yeah, I have big issues with Fate <laughs> of the Furious as well. But, um, but yeah, I had probably had more fun with that. Uh, but it is a movie obsessed with family. We have uh, Nebula and Gamora, mm. sisters, again, with massive daddy issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk a little <laughs> bit more. But slightly more earned, I think, in that case. I like that. Yes. And uh, there's some interesting uh, foreshadowing and, and setting yes. up, I think, of Nebula as... A character who may surprise us, I feel, in Infinity, uh, War. Infinity War. I agree. Um, obviously, she plays quite a big role in the comic books in terms of her relationship with, with Thanos. Um, I, that's how people say it. Thanos. 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 I say Thanos, but the, the, the official pronunciation now is Thanos. Thanos. Weird. I don't know. Anyway, so there's 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 interesting stuff with Drax mm. and Mantis. I thought that was a lovely relationship because it's it's filtered through Drax, who's just a weird character, but you can tell he has incredible affection for this surrogate daughter. Mm. I think that's the relationship that they're setting up there with those two, not as some people suggested, sexy fun times ahead. Uh, I think Drax genuinely finds her repellent, <laughs> <laughs> which is that's right. Um, one of the the fun jokes. Okay, should we get on to some questions? Mm. Sure. Uh, so a whole bunch of people, including uh, at your turn. Heather uh, asked about the Jeff Goldblum thing at the end you know Mm. James Gunn he said oh it was just a bit of fun to have Jeff Goldblum in I I didn't push him on it because I didn't have a lot of time but I do wonder if there might have been a deleted scene with the Grandmaster was in there a flash of the arena from he says Thor it Ragnarok? He says, well. he, says just, it's not. he says it's just a planet. It's just a, right, a random planet. But again, you never know. You never know. But uh, I, I loved that. I thought it was just a really you know interesting but, bit of fun. But that does bring us on to this question of uh, ties to the rest of the MCU, which seem uh, like far looser. Oh, yeah. Here it's than, few and far between, definitely. And I think, I think partly it's because James Gunn you know, knocked it out of the park both critically and commercially first time around and has sort of been given... I think a pretty blank slate. He's been, he seems to have been given the freedom in this movie that Joss Whedon was absolutely not given on, on Age, Age of Ultron. Ultron. Mm. I agree, which uh, surprised me mm. a little bit. But I think Age of Ultron, maybe because it did have the Avengers, has more linkage to yeah. go, to do. I was surprised by the total lack of obvious linkage to Infinity War in this movie. Did this this movie actually has at one point Peter Quill saying, 
Earth. Why would I want to go to Earth? My mom died on Earth. I'm never going to Earth. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and I would imagine, given that uh, they showed there were some pap shots last week of a, a life-size rocket raccoon standing at Durham Cathedral. <laughs> I would imagine that at some point in Infinity War, the, the Guardians what? didn't pitch up on Earth. I thought maybe they'd be confined to space. Maybe they'd be yeah, hanging yeah. out in space because mm. uh, there's some Infinity Stones scattered around in space still. Um, but yeah, now it looks like they will come to Earth. So Peter Quill's going to come to Earth. But uh, but yeah, this this film does not end with the Guardians going, right, But even the post-credit, even the post-credit stings were not terribly... Obviously, yeah. Infinity Stony. Yeah, the post-credit scenes set up. They set up uh, Kraglin beginning to learn how to use Yondu's uh, arrow which yeah. is the as far as I'm concerned one of the WMDs of the Marvel Cinematic Universe Seriously. That, that thing is I mean we're going to talk about the Ravagers Massacre which uh, spoiler alert is the thing I had an issue with in my review a lot of people have emailed me and asked me uh, I had phrased it in a way that wasn't spoilerific in the review but I said it's something a moment of triumph uh, that becomes a tasteless misstep and a lot of people wanted to know what that was and I went it's the bit where literally like a hundred dudes are killed <laughs> to yeah. jaunty pop music and they went, oh yeah. Anyway, we'll talk about it later on. Uh, so it sets up Kraglin. It sets up um, the potential new Guardians team, which is the Stallone, Stallone and, and Michelle Yeoh and Finn um, Rames. Finn Rames. Rames. Yeah, Miley no Cyrus. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Generally, that's Miley no, Cyrus. I, know. Yeah. I mean, sure. yeah, sure. Uh, that's, for the most part, the original Guardians, yeah. the 1969 uh, Guardians. We've got uh, teenage Groot, so he's growing up again, so he's yep. more able to be a physical force to be reckoned yep. with. Genuine, that's just that's By pure comedy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the biggest one is Adam Warlock. Yes, which is, but that seems, that feels like a Guardians 3 thing, not an Infinity War yes. thing. Yes. Now this is this is this is just my theory, and a few people have written into me and said, "What about the screw up with Adam Warlock?" And I, at first, I was a little baffled by that. And I'm sorry if I didn't get your name. We might get to it at some point, but I'm I'm flying blind here. Uh, some people asked me about the screw up because um, in the collector's lair in the first Guardians, there is a pod that you can see in the background, uh, and James Gunn has said in interviews that that was. Adam Warlock's birthing pod. That was that was meant to be Adam Warlock's birthing pod, and they're going, "Oh, it's a screw up now because this is Adam Warlock." Well, I think this is just a case. Again, this is something I didn't discuss with Gunn, but I think this is a case of a director going, "That was not established absolutely one hundred percent on screen in the first one, and I've thought of a better way to do it, and that's okay, and it doesn't affect yeah. it doesn't affect anything in the first Guardians, and this for me is a better way to get Adam Warlock." Yeah, into the uh, into the MCU. Yeah, uh, the fifth post credit thing was that Stan Lee. Stan Lee, screenings. Hey guys, I need my <laughs> lift home. Hey, where are you going? Oh no. Oh gee. Now this was one of the four cameos he filmed in a day, right? Yeah, yeah. He did. He did this. Presumably, did presumably Thor, Ragnarok, Spider-Man Strange, Homecoming. and Spider Man. Yeah, must all must have been those four. Yeah. yeah. Um, and this is the one that, that confirmed, well, confirms <laughs> yes. the shared Stanley universe yeah. theory. <laughs> yeah. That it is one Stanley going to different places with <laughs> On his behalf good mates. of the Watcher. Yeah, the Watchers. <laughs> Extraordinary. Extraordinary. Uh, Stanley is not a Watcher, he is just a friend of the Watchers. Yeah. Uh, so it doesn't entirely uh, uh, film it. One person did point out a possible screw up here. Ooh. Okay. So, uh, so Stanley is going. Hey, in that time, I was a FedEx guy, and um, that's his uh, reference to his cameo in Civil War. Mm-hmm. But Civil War takes place in 2016. Ah, you're right. Uh, ba, ba, ba. Yeah. 
sorry, uh, James Gunn, Kevin oh, Feige, no, no, if you're wait. listening to this, you need to also reshoot in, your time. No, but like, it's space. In Age of Ultron, space he's, time travel. he's one of uh, Steve's like veteran buddies, right? He's So he presumably served in World War II. No, he just, he just like finagled his way in there. Oh, right, okay. Probably. Yeah. All right. Oh, about the Adam, Adam Warlock thing. Sure. You were saying that you think this is set up for Guardians 3. I think it is as well, even though he's a huge part in the comic books mm. of uh, the fight against Thanos and Infinity War and Infinity Gauntlet and all that sort of stuff. I This is not an adaptation of that book. Yeah, it is. I, I, um, don't, I don't think... There's too much heavy lifting to introduce him as a character. Plus Have Captain him Marvel. be a bad guy and then, you know, get involved. Yeah, yes. I, um, I can confirm that, in fact. Uh, Slash Film spoke to Kevin Feige and he said, and I quote... Adam is not in Infinity War. This is not a tag for Infinity War. So, well, there you go. There you go. Oh, they spoke to Kevin Feige. Did they? Yeah. Well, he wasn't over. <laughs> was... <laughs> well, at least you're not bitter, Chris. I'm not bitter. It's totally fine. But you liked it, Kevin. Uh, all right. So here's a, an email, que- a Twitter question. Sorry. Here's a Twitter question from at Charles33 underscore eight round. <laughs> oh, Charlie Brown. Okay, I got it. Okay. Uh, Love the review almost as much as the movie. Oh, that's very nice. Lovely. Oh, my God. You just read that. I, I, didn't, mean, I didn't mean to read that out. <laughs> start, start Why from, did you pick this question, I wonder? Start from this bit. Don't okay. start from that bit. <laughs> um, your review, Chris, movement. Um, <laughs> where does Yondu's death rank among the MCU deaths? Do you think too much time was spent on the funeral or just enough? Before we get into that, I will yep. say this. Okay. This surprised me. Uh, first time around. Yeah. Fine, okay, Yondu's died, it's a funeral, it's okay. Interesting, downbeat ending for, mm. for the Guardians film, that's intriguing. Uh, second time around, move me a little bit more. Third time around... Uh, Waterfalls. I, Don't I, go chasing I them, Chris. Shed, I shed a single tear. Oh, a single man I've, tear. Uh, yeah, oh. I'm not saying from my eyes necessarily. Oh, but Chris. Uh, <laughs> but it, uh, it genuinely moved me. It moved me, and not just the whole thing with Yondu and Peter Quill mm. and... Uh, <laughs> Faintly ridiculous speech by David Hasselhoff, but um, faintly the, the ridiculous speech by David Hasselhoff, but uh, just generally, I found myself moved by where Rocket was, and I think part of that obviously comes from having talked to Gunn and mm. being a little bit more attuned now to what he was going for with that character. But uh, I think the, the decision to end on that very, very lovely, sad song, "Father and Son" by uh, Yusuf Islam. Um, as he is now credited yes um, is really really nice and ending on Rocket crying just it got to me mm. which is interesting because well, I'm like you I didn't think Rocket was in hugely uh, as well served as he could have been no I, th- I don't think it was because the, the whole thing is like at the beginning of the film they set up this conflict between Rocket and Quill for like sort of control and you know certainly piloting of the ship and then they just never deal with that whatsoever and that kind of annoyed me so the stuff with Rocket and Yondu would have worked a little better if that had been the focus from the beginning but it wasn't and it just yeah irritated me anyway <laughs> but uh, I thought Yondu's uh, Yondu's death first of all the, the big thing f- for selling it for me was not just Rocket it was Sean Gunn uh, Sean Gunn's performance yes Caglin. he it sells was. it he sells it, it was. when he says that they, they all turned up they, that they, they all showed up yeah, the moment where he beats his chest, yeah, and, he, and um, he's and he's visibly on the edge yeah. of tears. That is what k- kicks it. That's um, and also, it, there is a, I mean, like massive deliberate, I think, references there to 
this Spock's funeral, the classic tearjerker death in a sci-fi movie. Mm. Um, if you don't cry at Wrath of Khan, I don't even know what to say to you, man. Seriously, but uh, that—that's the. I think there was a definitely deliberate echo of that yeah. in that whole scene. I'm also a sucker for this sort of light show. Yes. Of, of, a, mm. of a big big Marvel funeral yeah. uh, when Frigga dies in Thor the Dark World oh. and that's that's a really lovely scene in a, in a film I know a lot of people have a problem with but I, I really uh, that scene moved it, me as well it was a real opportunity for a big uh, literally to go out with a bang I thought you know it, visually it was so impressive in a film that is not short on visually impressive CGI mm. I mean uh, we'll, we might get a chance to talk about it later but the Ego's Homeworld is just it's gorgeous. astonishing and it really shows I mean CGI can be used really well if it's used with care and thought and, and artistry you know I, I don't think there's anything wrong with this film that is majority CGI mm. if it's done well and I think it's done really well in this film I mm. think generally if CGI isn't done well it's not the CGI's fault it's generally the film yes yeah. but, exactly it's not yeah. it's not about CG apathy yeah. so much yeah. as how you use it I agree yeah. I mean you, you could you could level some accusations of that at this movie um, uh, you know the the final showdown between Ego and and, and, and Peter. Yes. When Peter turns into Pac-Man, it's a funny idea, but it just felt a little bit too far for me. But the thing, the thing I've, I've felt about this movie, and the likes of uh, Civil War and Winter Soldier, is that you know people talk about the the Sturm und Drang of the uh, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I think that uh, you know there's enough character moments, and in, in amongst all the the pixel frenzy, yeah, you can go to you know. Gamora, uh, Nebula and and Yondu having that funny moment on the spaceship, or that that the confidence to stage a scene between uh, Rocket and Groot, Baby Groot with the with the bomb and mm. Quill off in the background going, Does "Anyone have tape? Anyone have tape?" <laughs> and that he, and he just holds that shot for so for so long. The confidence to have those moments and those character yeah. beats within that, and I love these characters um, as as much as anyone in the MCU. Uh, really brings really brings it home for me. As much as Cap. I would say if I were to put together a top 10 list of my favourite Marvel Cinematic Universe characters uh, there would be a couple from Guardians on the list okay. whether whether they'd be above Steve I, I don't know <laughs> I don't know whether they'd be above Tony uh, they'd be above uh, uh, Drax might be above Tony for me <gasps> whoa Drax Whoa. might be above Tony. Drax is interesting in this film because Drax doesn't get any heavy lifting, uh, I would say, really to do, narratively or thematically. Uh, he has this interesting relationship with uh, Mantis, which you know, which I, as I've said before, I think is a, is a surrogate father-daughter relationship. Uh, everything he says is pretty much brilliant comic relief but at the end of the last movie he was talking about you know he doesn't need to kill Ronan anymore but he's going to turn his attentions towards Thanos <laughs> but that, there's really none of that in this film he is just a a, a wrecking device comedically mm. and uh, in terms of action as well yeah back to the question which sure. is about Yondu's funeral oh yeah okay. where do we think it ranks we you know because you're, you're pinning an awful lot of emotion on a character I don't know that any of us were that connected to uh, the first time around well I think I definitely felt his death because I think in this movie he earned it it became I think his character became quite well rounded and I, I, I appreciated the sacrifice he made uh, I think come the end of this movie I think but at the start of the first movie if he felt Maybe a little undeveloped. He was just a strange-looking man with a with a funny with a funny darts. Um, and he and, is that know. Jim Bowen? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, Let's take a look at what you could have won, Quill. <laughs> 
Um, but no, I, th- I thought his arc in this movie was really interesting and, and um, you know, his relationships with Sylvester Stallone's character and this sort of whole backstory of, of having to deal with this ridiculous ego planet um, <laughs> and and essentially forced, being forced into adopting Peter. I thought that was really interesting and I thought it was quite well handled. Um, so his death kind of, yeah, worked for me. What other deaths have there been in the MCU that stuck? Quicksilver. Oh yeah, was... Frigga. I mean, yeah. If you haven't seen those films, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> By the this way, this is the entire MCU yeah. spoiler special, apparently. Uh, in terms of the, the big ones that have stuck, uh, it's interesting. I still wonder to this day whether Tony Stark knows that Coulson's alive. I still wonder that. I still wonder if, if <laughs> yeah, Steve and Tony point, and the rest of the Avengers know that Coulson is alive because their, their paths have not crossed. They're still avenging him. They're still. That's, they're, that's, <laughs> that's the sole reason they're doing what they're <laughs> yeah. doing. Otherwise, they just let the whole We've thing burn. We've got to do it for Coulson. <laughs> Coulson's over there, guys. He's at the drinks machine. He's literally in the same no, building. He's, he's actually doing some really cool stuff at the moment in Agents of Shield. I haven't caught up with Agents mm. of Shield at all. This has been a good yeah? season. Yeah. Really, I'm yeah. hearing this might be the last season. Actually, well, the viewing figures are still going. Yeah, but if if they're going out, they're going out in a high. So it's always go. dangerous to whistle in the Guardians of the Galaxy podcast. <laughs> in case an arrow rips through the wall and beds itself in us. Um, what do you think about Yondi? Do you think that he was given enough this time around? To oh, I think he was given that? plenty this yeah. time. Yeah, I think it, I, I really think he was. He was given massively more than he was last time. Um, and and Michael Rooker's great. He, he does he does good stuff with it. Mm. Um, do we need two father complexes in one film? <laughs> I mean, that's another question. But no, he was he was really good with it. I, I think I think also this is another of my sort of structural problems with the film. If you are going to have two father figures, it should be there should be a con, there should be a, a moment between them. There should yeah. be a and there wasn't really that face off, which I find unsatisfying yeah. as well. You're right. Quill and Yondu don't really share a scene until the very end, until pretty much the moment but that also, Yondu decides to sacrifice Yondu himself. Yondu and Ego, that should have a bit more of a. Yeah, this is Yondu and Ego, who, of course, you know, Yondu has, you know, dis- disobeyed Ego's orders. Exactly. And, Taken Quill for himself, yeah. essentially, raised him instead. Well, my, my big problem with the film was how do you have Kurt Russell and Sylvester Stallone in the film and not have them in the same frame together, mm-hmm. not do a Tango and Cash thing? I mean, how do you do that? How do you do that? How, how are you not thinking of Tango and Cash at all moments? Which is why I'd like to revise my star rating downwards <laughs> <laughs> to one star. Uh, no, I, yeah, the the Yondu, the Yondu father figure thing. I, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think there could have been a little bit more in there, but you know, the 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 nature of the plot, uh, I guess, meant that they had to keep Quill and and uh, and Yondu and and Ego uh, apart from each other for a long, long time. Uh, the interesting thing at the James Gunn interview is that he feels that uh, Yondu is also also a father figure for Rocket in the film, mm. which is one of those very very quick character arc things mm. that you get only in movies only in movies does someone spend like an hour with someone and then considers them to be a father I figure mean, I mean I didn't get father figure from their conversation which they had where they were clearly sort of bonding yeah. it didn't seem father son it seemed equals it seemed like they were identifying they had the same issues yeah. that didn't seem like a father son thing that seemed like a I'm just like you thing and so I didn't really get Rocket's devastation. I, I got Rocket's sort of Rocket's devastation about Yondu's death. It felt more like Rocket had, I don't know, learned something about himself from Yondu's death, or or, or experienced some kind of hope for himself. Mm. Because if Yondu's capable of heroism, maybe so am I. Sort yeah. of thing. So if, I think yeah. I think there was there was something effective there, but I certainly didn't get any kind of father son thing from it. If Yondu is capable 
of reconciling with the people that he pushed away for years. Yes. Whether it's Dakar or whether it's Quill, then I think Rocket maybe feels the same thing. Absolutely. Because Rocket is all, again, it's all ego and it's all, uh, he's, he's frightened and he's terrified of admitting that these people that he hangs around with are his friends. It's a bit like you guys. I mean, your colleagues... And, you know, but would I ever look you in the eye and tell you that I love you like, like a brother, John, and like a sister, Helen? I don't think I ever... I, I don't. Please don't, Chris. <laughs> Chris, yeah. you're, from Over, this conversation, you're like a father to me. Over the years, I've come to regard you all as people, people I met. <laughs> um, while we're still on the topic of Yondu, let's answer the question that at least a dozen of you sent in. Uh, the first one came from Almond Brown. Uh, what scene in your Guardians of the Galaxy review are you referring to when you described a tasteless misstep? I love the film. I'm racking my brains to think of what event warranted such criticism. It was indeed the Ravager Massacre. It was the sequence where three of our heroes uh, just straight up kill a bunch of dudes. Uh, which I know that they're bad guys. And I know that the Ravagers are established as even worse guys. First time around especially this really jarred for me though because mm. it is a massacre sequence well there's a, there's an earlier massacre where they massacre a bunch of people which already felt like wow that's not what happens in these films you lock yeah. them up in the brig you don't throw them into space yeah. but obviously that was kind of foreshadowing oh look look what happens when you put a body in a vacuum basically yeah. uh, not your hoover at home the other kind and then um but but then you're right. I mean, they what hundreds of people? There's hundreds of people in that scene, right? It feels like hundreds. Yeah. It's certainly scores of people, and they fully murder them. Now, and it's not even like the the. I think it was meant to echo the prison escape in Guardians One, in the sense that you know it looked somewhat similar with all the walkways and the multiple levels and so on. But that was people who were directly in their way, directly fighting them. This was not. This was people who were on the ship. Mm. It did feel weird. Now, of course, you could. And weirdly enough, I hit upon this while talking to James Gunn about it. And suddenly I kind of saw what he was going for with with the... Uh, if you listen to the interview, you'll hear that moment. But I kind of realised what he was going for with that sequence. Because we were talking about Rocket and Yondu and father figures and all that sort of stuff. And it suddenly hit me that to Rocket participating in this massacre is a bit like Quill playing catch with Ego. (laughs) It's something that is fun and the cool dude who he sees as daddy, uh, you know, obviously connected with him very quickly, but hey, everything's accelerated in the movies like this. And it's like, oh yeah, sure, absolutely. And it's not like Rocket and Groot are not without their foibles. Yeah. But because we have the sequence in the first movie where Yondu again kills all of those uh, Ronin's cohorts mm. with the arrow. And there's a sequence, which I still love, where Groot kills a whole bunch of them and then turns around and grins at everybody. Yeah. But those were kind of, what's they? They were necro- necrocons or something? They were, I can't remember the actual name for them, but they were necro soldiers. They were essentially dead people mm. who were being killed again. And the problem I had first time around was as bad as the Ravagers on the ship led by Taserface, uh, <laughs> as bad as they are, you're still watching our heroes straight up like just massacre people. And there was a couple of scenes of the, the arrow going through people's chests and I thought, this is a bit much. Yeah. Um, second and third time I slightly mitigated those concerns, but 
it is still it is still a big well, flaw I'm, for me. I was okay with it though. I was okay with it partly oh, because really? it's okay with massacres. Eh? Yeah, I, I am actually pro mass murder. Um, <laughs> no, I, th- I think I think it that worked for me for a couple of reasons. One is that it's just purely enjoyable and entertaining to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's shot in such a fun way, and that music I think really fits. It's such a sort of strange, incongruous, joyful bit of pop music. Yeah, next to these these you know harrowing deaths um, <laughs> shot in slow motion and all this sort of thing but also I just think that's okay first of all it's Yondu who is who is not a hero by any stretch I mean he was never presented as as one of the original team he's never tried to be a good guy so this is this is not outside of the you know his realm of possibility and with with Rocket and and Groot I mean this is these are the Guardians these are not uh, the Avengers yeah uh, and their, no, again, their yeah. MO is a little bit of little little of bad little of good mm. you know a bit of both but the interesting this thing is a bit of bad the interesting thing to me is that so many people wrote in asking what that, that tasteless mm. misstep was that clearly it was maybe just me I don't know whether you felt strongly about it the first time but it kind of took me out of the movie a little bit I had to get myself back into it and mm-hmm. I asked James Gunn you know was a pushback did people say you'd gone too far with this and he said no absolutely it was fine um so maybe maybe it's it's me just uh, I don't know. You are a, sh- a fainting violet, Chris. I am a, a little bit maybe, but um... <laughs> but no, it was it was it was weird to see that many people killed in a yeah big colorful summer blockbuster. Yeah. But obviously we welcome it and uh, <laughs> no it's all it's all good uh, but while we're talking about uh, the, the song which was come a little bit closer by uh, I believe Jay and the Americans let me just check I've got it on my phone yes Jay and the Americans uh, what do we think of the soundtrack loved it loved it loved it loved it uh, I didn't like it as much as the first one okay. loved it Apart Helen from, loved it I apologise <laughs> Helen I, you love it I loved it loved it do you prefer the soundtrack to Fast 8 did you Helen no mm, okay I think, come on there's got to yeah. be some hope for me <laughs> Uh, oh, it's so good! Come on, I, I I really love some of the choices here. I, I think Fleetwood Mac. I did like the Fleetwood Mac. That was my was favorite. Superb. How do you use the chain, right, and then not use the bit that they use for the theme from Formula One on the BBC? Doom. I think quite easily. Doom, 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 doom. Yeah, but this bit looked and then, better. And then you know, Senna and Prost and Mansell. <laughs> Mr. Great Blue stuff. Sky in the opening scene was just a joy. It was just yeah. pure joy. Start to finish. Yeah, it's. I did love the opening scene, uh, not so much for the music though, which I think was fine, but um, uh, just the 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 idea of that. Like, let's yeah. focus on the concept the baby of having chasing. the action in the background was yeah. was genius, and it really showed a bit of confidence that, yeah. that they they they're much more interested in a in a baby tree dancing than they are yeah. the actual action. I thought yeah. that's no, absolutely. The confidence of this movie uh, all the way through, even through mm. even through the flaws, gets it past the flaws. Mm. I think. It gets it past. I mean, you know, the, 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 the Ravagers massacre is presented with such confidence mm. that even though it jarred me at first, this, you know, second or third time around, you, you begin, I can begin to appreciate the artistry, for want of a better word, <laughs> uh, of that sequence where Yondu's watching mm. everyone on the, on the screens and the, the arrow, which is really powerful. <laughs> My God, you I mean, that would give the Hulk an issue. Yeah, that, that thing, I mean, how do you recharge it anyway? You know, how Bluetooth. does it work? Ah, oh, it's Bluetooth, of course. It's Bluetooth, everything's Bluetooth. I really like um, the use of My Sweet Lord by George Harrison as we... Well, you would, because you are... Because I am George Harrison. You are George Harrison. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that was... It did feel a bit like a sort of... Uh, 
I mean, like a Hindu paradise or something. It's a little on the nose. The use of that in <laughs> it's Semekasian in its and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's on the nose. Yeah. But it's such a great song. Yeah. Uh, I think you know going through the two soundtracks because uh, I'm doing a lot of running to these soundtracks at the moment. Uh, I think that this is a better soundtrack. I genuinely do. I, you know, I think that there's there's uh, all killer no filler in this one. Whereas on the on the last one, I think there were a couple that maybe didn't quite. Didn't quite work in Spirit in the Sky. I'm not a big fan yeah, of that song. Yeah, Spirit in the Sky I don't like. But you know, Ooh Child. Oh, I ooh love Child. An Ooga Chaka. Oh, that's oh. a good one. <laughs> I believe is the, the name of the song. That's, that's correct. Ooga Chaka. Ooga Chaka. Um, but this one, you know, I think, you know, it begins really well with Brandy, which is used all oh, the way through the Brandy. film. Uh, in fact, if you if you notice, when Kurt Russell goes for a whiz uh, on after first meeting Peter, he's whistling he's Brandy. He's whistling Brandy, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it becomes a thematic uh, concern throughout the film. Mr. Blue Sky's great. Uh, Fox and the Run is on the soundtrack, but not in the film. It's on the trailer. There you mm. go. Mm. But uh, some really great stuff on there as well. Great stuff on the Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> Volume 2 soundtrack. Uh, we've got a question now from Chris Rogers. Are we just going to forget that a small town in America is now coated in grey-blue gloop? <sighs> It's a yeah. good question. I mean, presumably there are entire cities there on on various planets that are now weird things. But then there seemed to be a suggestion that people were kind of restored after it vanished, right? Was there? Wasn't there? Is there? Isn't there? I don't know. Okay. I've got to say, my heart sank a little bit when the big bloop just started <laughs> yeah. overtaking. It was like, oh, God, was more it, cities have to be destroyed. Was today. it a I deliberate this- nod to the blob? I think it was. Okay. I didn't get a chance to ask uh, James Gunn that, but I, I think I think it was. He's a he's a B movie guy. Yeah. Uh, did anyone notice? Did anyone notice Greg Henry? I did. As, yes. As Quill's gran- granddad. Only second time around, actually, because really? the, the aging makeup was thick. And he, he's on in him. the credits dancing at the end as well. Mm, right, he does yeah. a little. He does a little granddad dancing move. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. It just James Gunn cannot make movies without Michael Rooker. He, he will have to. I think he'll bring Yondu back somehow. I. I Flashbacks. I, I can't see Yondu coming back because I would cheapen it, but I think he'll bring it back somehow. But uh, but you know, there's got to be a scene I'd imagine in, in Avengers: Infinity War between with Clark Gregg. Quill and Greg Henry. Greg Henry, rather, not yeah. Clark Gregg. Yeah, Clark Clark Gregg and Greg Henry. Clark Gregg and Greg Henry. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, are we going to? Uh, a few people have written in as well asking: Is it weird because it's never mentioned in the MCU that there's a town in Missouri covered in grey blue gloop? <laughs> Uh, probably everything. Shield dealt with it. It's yeah. probably fine. I don't know. There's, yeah, there's all sorts of stuff going on yeah. in the MCU. Yeah, there's clear inference whenever we hook up again with the Avengers at the beginning of Age of Ultron that they've been on many, many missions mm. and they've done lots of shit together. Yeah. And you know, this is just one of their little side yeah. missions. They send someone in to clean it up. Maybe that. Maybe that does deal with my one problem with the Thor Ragnarok trailer because mm-hmm. I, I loved it more than rainbows, but. Um, <laughs> The uh, the idea that Thor would consider avenging work seemed odd to me, um, but maybe, maybe he's done enough that he does. You know, maybe maybe they really have been working that hard. Yeah, they, they probably pay quite well. Shield, you know, they've probably got a good. He's an good alien god. I mean, does he really need? He needs, still needs healthcare. Yeah, he still needs still needs insurance. I've stubbed my toe. <laughs> Uh, at Quizmaster PW75 asks, do you think the Sly Stallone group of Guardians will feature in future MCU films? Yes. Just, just Guardians 3, I suspect. Yeah. I think I was surprised when Stallone came on screen and I was expecting a big, like, cameo moment and it wasn't that. It was more like character setup moments. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It yeah. w- didn't feel like, it wasn't like Hasselhoff where it's like, look, it's, <laughs> it's, it's this guy, it's this famous guy. It was like, we're setting up a character who will 
who will take a bigger role in, in future movies. And mm. I think I think that's what's going to happen, isn't it? Guardians three. That, yeah, the, the, mm. the team of ravagers. Well, James, yeah, James Gunn has already said again, not with me. What did he say to me? I don't know. <laughs> he said lots of good stuff to me, but he said in another interview. In fact, no, this is on Twitter. He said that this iteration of uh, the Guardians, uh, their their story will be completed in Guardians three. Okay. So I'd imagine that there will be a Guardians four and a Guardians five, but it will be a radically different team. And that actually surprised me a little bit because as radically as the Avengers change from the beginning of Age of Ultron to the end when it's almost a completely different team and by the end of course of Civil War where it's essentially Tony um, and uh, a crippled roadie uh, a discombobulated vision and (laughs) Spider-Man on the emergency roster just in case Um, you know it changed so completely in this one they don't really change that much they add Mantis to the roster I guess arguably um, ne- Nebula as well all right, but she goes off and does her own thing at the yeah. end uh, Yondu is dead and Kraglin as we discussed with James Gunn is is basically he's just a guy who hangs around he doesn't really necessarily have voting rights um, what did we think of that do we did you expect the, the team to undergo a lot of changes um, no actually I don't think I did um, I'm I felt like there was there was enough kind of new blood there with Mantis and Yondu taking such a bigger part um, that it it didn't feel in any way stale or anything. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I was kind of I was kind of okay with that. Uh, this is from at Nandy Selson. Were you surprised there were no Infinity Stones in this one? Yeah. Yes. I felt like there'd be more set up for Infinity War, and I, I'm I'm genuinely surprised that this feels very. Standalone-y. I, f- I mean, I thought it would be quite standalone just because of James Gunn's character and also because of the success of the first film. I thought they, you know, they they saw what they wanted to do with this and they, they were fairly confident in it. But the compl- the almost to me complete lack of linkage is is quite surprising. I Refreshing, thought. I would say. Yes. Yeah, maybe. But I just, you know, we haven't got that much time left, and you know, I was expecting just. I'm not saying I wanted a 20 minute subplot, but like. <laughs> A throwaway reference to yeah. something, I think, would have I, been. I quite liked that it was sort of on its own. I mean, I was thinking I, I rewatched uh, Civil War recently, and I was thinking if you'd never seen an MCU movie and you went into Civil War completely blind, you wouldn't know what the hell was going on. I mean, there's all sorts of characters coming in from all over, and all sorts of backstories and subplots, and it requires it it demands having seen the entire thing. And I I kind of like that Guardians is its own beast and you can just approach it fresh and you know it sort of exists in and of itself um i i mean are there other infinity stones out there how many yeah, how many one left there's, there's one, one left yeah. floating soul, in space somewhere the soul stone which so, uh, the smart money would be on ragnarok yeah it's turning up there but thor ragnarok <laughs> has to do so much if it if it is indeed going to reveal the last infinity stone and going to lead directly into i mean i know black panther comes out before um infinity war but Thor Ragnarok, you would imagine, would be the the real lead-in yeah. to that movie. And if there is an Infinity Stone in there, it's going to have to do an awful lot of heavy lifting but with then, the Hulk and Doctor Strange and Odin and Loki and all that sort what's of stuff. Been, but what's been good about Marvel's approach to the Infinity Stones throughout is that it's built them in as other MacGuffins and it yeah. hasn't been focusing on them as Infinity Stones. Mm-hmm. It's been focusing on, that, on them as the Tesseract, the Scepter, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got to hope that they can just throw it in there somewhere. I mean, who's to say it won't just show it. up for the first time in Infinity War? Jeff Goldblum could be wearing it on his wrist. You know, do you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't <laughs> yeah. have to be a big 
doohickey. It could just be yeah. a thing that exists. Uh, at Jenny underscore Smith asks, uh, where did Kraglin get another red fin from? Yondu's was turned into space dust. Did Rocket build him another? We can't answer that absolutely definitively, but I would imagine that's the way of it. Rocket yeah, is so. a genius inventor. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be fun watching him with Tony Stark. <laughs> oh, know. now I want to see that. Are they going to try and outdo each other in the invention uh, stakes? Uh, but I would imagine that's what uh, that's what happened. This is from uh, Mark Fawcett. Who would the pod pick to be Adam Warlock in Guardians 3? I've got one. Okay. If this if this doesn't happen, because I think we were we were one of the first people to say Kurt Russell should be Quill's dad, right? Years ago, okay. we, we said that. Sure. All right. And Marvel listened because they uh, they <laughs> you know they listen to this podcast and they take notes. All right. So, <laughs> God help so them. So Kevin Feige, take your pen out, take the cap off the pen, put the pen to paper, write this down. Army Hammer. <laughs> Mic drop. It's got to happen. It's got to happen. It's got to happen. Army Hammer. Big, blonde, arrogant dude. Not that Army Hammer's arrogant. He's not. But seems very nice, in fact. Seems lovely. But I think like, he would be the perfect embodiment of Adam Warlock. And get your get your dabs into him before the DC uh, EU get him. How about Channing Tatum? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Helen, you were meant to go. The minute I said uh, Army Hammer, you were meant to go, yes. Yes. yes, I Ooh. see it now. Of Chris, you're course. genius. Oh yeah, John. What do you think about Army Hammer? Yes, yes, Chris. Chris. I think that that's a great idea, and I would definitely cast Army Hammer. That was. A st- <laughs> Why that do was- I sound like Matt Berry? <laughs> that was just like you. Wow, that's <laughs> I don't amazing. Know. I don't know. Uh, anything else you want to say when I'm uh, looking for questions? Any, any, any closing thoughts? Any? Uh, let's talk about Nebula. I really liked uh, Nebula in this. I thought she was really good, um, and I liked I liked that there was a sister relationship because that is something that we don't see as often as we see father complexes. Um, and so I thought that their sort of contentious relationship underpinning an actual need for each other, or certainly Nebula's need for Gamora, I thought was actually really good. And I liked that the big emotional beats for Gamora were not really her and Quill, although it seems weird to me that they haven't acted on that, but. They were her and Nebula. I had a few issues with that relationship. I felt they were literally trying to murder each other, like quite literally a fight to the death. Yeah, but that's the and way then, they've been brought up. But then they have a little chat and then it's, they're best mates. It was a bit Batman versus Superman. But they weren't best mates. I think, that was, I think that was the interesting thing. Like, you Why know, did you say the name? Yeah. <laughs> Thanos. Gamora, Gamora hugs Nebula. Nebula has real trouble hugging her back. Like, it's a really difficult yes. thing for her to do. And I think they've been brought up fighting each other and then stopping fighting and going back to training alongside each other so I feel like it it sort of made a weird kind of no, sense no the, logically it, it made sense I just I just felt uh, I, I, I don't know I just I just didn't quite <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm just laughing at some of the stuff that Nebula does in this film I think she's I think she's very very good in this movie uh, Karen Gillan there's that mm. there's that lovely moment where you know, she shoots the fin, the fin off Yondu's head and, and basically goes hello there boys in a really sexy seductive yeah. way uh, like just completely she's uh, she outguns them all instantly mm. you know that she's more than a match for, for everyone I do like the way that the way that she makes really everyone uncomfortable I find, yes. that, I find that quite amusing and she thinks they're all idiots yeah. and the thing is mm. 
she's right. Yeah. We are all idiots. Yeah, she has a great line in contempt, doesn't she? Yeah, she really yeah. does. Uh, so I thought she she's very interesting. And again, many people have asked, do we think that she's going to be a bigger player in Infinity War? And we said at the beginning, I think she will be. Uh, and in fact, if you were to put the runners and riders right now for, you know, who gets to pull the trigger on Thanos, if indeed it goes down that way in three or four, she's got to be up there because she's got the the emotional reason mm. for wanting to kill Thanos. Yeah. So it would be interesting, especially someone who's not necessarily that powerful getting through his yeah, defences. Yeah, you've, you've got to worry that though that if she did kill Thanos, she'd die in the attempt. Like, I feel like that would be pretty nailed on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's hope not. Let's hope not, indeed. Um, Baby Groot deployed perfectly. Too much Baby Groot? Not enough Baby Groot? Did we like the... Uh... As I say, my only issue was like I couldn't figure out how smart he was meant to be and how much he was meant to understand because that just changed from minute to minute. Um, so one minute he'd seem pretty, you know, pretty down with everything and the next minute just completely off with the fairies. Yeah, did, did he understand English? I, I wasn't really sure. <laughs> or, like, that, that whole scene where he's getting... He gets. He, he does. Yeah. He gets he the does. wrong things from the drawer. You know, like like a sword off foot or what or something. Like a severed toe. <laughs> so <laughs> let's toe, never yeah. speak of this again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that sequence. I thought it was great. I mean, you're 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 playing with. Are you pushing it too far with him bringing That's a the, desk. the silly things? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then also that bizarre conversation he goes. We don't. He doesn't say I am Groot that often. But the the thing about the hat, you know, he, where he puts the the little badge on his head like a hat, and he goes, you know. <laughs> And then Rocket has to translate for him. He goes, so you, you don't like hats because you look at a person and you realise that you think that their head is shaped like a hat and then you, it's just a hat. <laughs> Wait a minute, that's why you don't like hats? <laughs> just, yeah. It's a little bit complex for, for baby group. Exactly. I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Yeah. But, I mean, um, but that's kind of what... Yeah, yeah. but that and was I, my only issue with him because, of course, he's adorable. I, you know? I, he's too adorable to kill. Bring him to the tailor. <laughs> yeah, also, they have true. a tailor? <laughs> Well, they These had. guys are pirates they and they a had tailor. a tailor? We have to assume that the tailor was Perished. arrowed. Yeah, yeah perished in the massacre. Yeah. Maybe the tailor was a machine. That would make more sense. Like the replicator in Star Trek. It just seems weird that they would have a guy literally with a tape measure on, on their pirate ship. <laughs> um, a couple of last questions. Matthew Buck asks, does Ego say he was the only celestial ever? No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Uh, if so, what was a giant celestial head slash planet nowhere no in way, Volume right. 1? It was another celestial. Mm. Uh, Ego has not found any celestials. Um, I liked, by the way, that, that uh, they brought Laura Haddock back as Meredith mm. Quill. I think, yeah. it, you know. Also, i tell you what really moved me as well, uh, and surprisingly so, was the sequence just as Quill is about to... Um, Engage with ego. He's about to fight ego, and he thinks about his mum. And there's like a sequence of young Peter playing with Laura Haddock as Meredith Quill. And then there's a couple of sequences of of, of, of a young Peter playing with with uh, with 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 Yondu. Mm. And there's a sequence of him flying through, uh, flying with jetpacks with rocket. That sequence, which is soundless almost, that moved me seeing these glimpses of a life that we hadn't glimpsed before you know it almost felt like you know cut scenes from the movie but it was really interesting anyway that's mommy just my issues thought. Chris god <laughs> not as played out though anyway uh, who's cooler Mary Poppins or Yondu screaming I'm Mary Poppins y'all <laughs> that's already on a t-shirt um, so is it yeah really uh, yeah uh, Darren Crowley why doesn't baby group want to be seen dancing in front of Drax that's I think that was just a, a little nod back to the uh, post-credits thing in the first film, but that was—it it did strike me as slightly odd. It was kind of weird. 
Maybe it's because Drax doesn't approve of dancers. And if, <laughs> if Drax saw Baby Groot dancing, he wouldn't believe that he was also a fighter. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, here's another interesting one, and a few people have asked this. So Ghost Rider 365 asks, is Ego really dead? I think so. Oh, you mean because if he's dead, then Peter doesn't have his superpowers anymore. Mm-hmm. I think he's dead. I think he's dead. Because that was yeah. part of the... That should have been, and I think it was slightly underdeveloped, that should have been part of the, the sort of the pathos or the difficulty for Peter of taking him on is that he's, by that by doing so, giving up quite a lot yes. of power himself. Mm-hmm. But having only just discovered it, maybe then it's not quite so... That was, that was slightly underdeveloped, and maybe that was something that they could have done to give Peter a bit more emotional heft in this film. Yeah, at certain points I was thinking, oh, they've upgraded Peter's abilities because he doesn't have any apart from, you know, being a, a swaggering Lothario. Um, and they, they've upgraded him slightly in that and to maybe be able to go toe-to-toe with some people in Infinity War, and then they, they take it away from him. And I, well, I thought the, it was really interesting. The, the impression I got was he had some of these powers from being on the planets. Is that is that not no, how it was? No, he had some of the powers from ex- the planet existing, I, th- I right. think. So um, he wasn't drawing energy or... S- he was drawing it from the planet, but right. I think he would have been immortal even if he was away mm. from the planet, okay. was yeah. the idea. Okay. But it is interesting, it's like uh, how much of that is derived from the planet's existence and how much of it is derived from Ego's mm. existence and how much of it is the fact that it is just in his genes. Uh, he's the only mm. one of Ego's progeny uh, who has the ability, who has, you know, who can, who can do what Ego does to a level that, that pleases Ego enough that he doesn't want to kill him. Yeah. Um, there is there is a wiggle room, isn't there, there, yeah. for them to, to keep a little edge of something yeah. that would help him. Yeah, he might still be able to hold an Infinity Stone for a few seconds at least, mm. but I don't think he's turning into Pac-Man anytime soon. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> or fair. indeed Pac-Man. None That's of those true. people. Or Pac-Woman. <laughs> or, indeed, or Saxo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, uh, what do people think of uh, of Ego as a bad guy? Uh, someone's asked, Gina Joxa has asked, uh, is Loki still the best MCU villain or did Ego outshine him? Uh, Loki's still the best, yeah, but Loki Ego was good. Is is pretty safe, I, I would say. I think Ego was great. I thought Kurt Russell was dependably brilliant. Mm. I thought his beard was magnificent. I thought he looked... Every bit the the you know celestial planet god. I, as I've said, I have a lot of issues with you know evil plan monologue monologue evil <laughs> plan, which I just thought you know just came out of him free will. Yeah. But no, he was he was I I, I think he was a it, he was a good villain. Yeah, I think he was good I, with the with the caveat of my plot problems I've already kind of identified and you've mm-hmm. already identified about, you know, mm-hmm. he comes through quite late on as a villain. So there yeah. was there were also shades you know. of Yeah. There were shades of uh, Doctor Manhattan as well in his regeneration. And I think just because visually it looked really similar to those um those cartoon strips. Um and I love that nod. was distracting. I love to nod to his uh, comic book design. Mm. At one point you see the planet and yes, it, it with has the face. an angry yeah. face. <laughs> mm. Um which is which is which was uh, pretty cool. Um, I liked him. I liked him a lot. Some people are wondering why he uh, looked younger in 1980. I think because he was away from the planet, he gets a little bit older. But, yeah, yeah. it may also it, be yeah. a, a conscious choice to try to appear more father-like to Quill. It I suspect. Mm-hmm. I think. I think there's an element of he's. But he's. He actually. Men, he actually says at one point before when he turns into Hasselhoff. I, I tried to. Yeah. Take a form that would be pleasing to your. I can't remember yeah. the exact words, but exact words. Um, uh, so that's he's clearly trying to appear fatherific. 
By the way, the, the Hasselhoff cameo, I loved. <laughs> I, I thought to get someone like Hasselhoff in for, what, two and a half seconds, maybe three seconds? I mean, that was pretty ballsy. I liked it. Plus dancing at the end, I think, in the credits. Yes. Dan- and of course, he yes. uh, appears on the song as mm, well. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yes. Guardians Inferno. Voice of an angel. Yeah, Sardou <laughs> Hasselfrau is back. It's the voice um, that tore down the Berlin Wall. Two last things to very, very quickly talk about. Uh, we've talked about every different character permutation in this film except for Quill and Gamora what do we make of that they don't go full Han and Leia in this uh, but there is certainly indications that they will be doing the uh, the bumpy uglies very very soon I don't think anything those people have is ugly um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I I I just I don't I don't quite understand why you why you wouldn't if you were those two given the where we saw them at the end of the last film but um, but yeah I mean I guess the sort of will they won't they thing was a thing that was still going on but it didn't really make it just didn't make sense to me mm. I didn't I didn't get why it wasn't happening already I guess yeah I guess maybe she's got issues I mean, they're all trust issues, issues sure. over the over time, and I, I guess the thing is, like he he genuinely likes this woman, which is which is unusual for Quill, I'd imagine, and he doesn't want to blow it. He doesn't want to quill it up. Yeah. Um, maybe but he like she wanna... was kissing him on the cheek at the end of the last film, so was she? clearly I wasn't there. Wasn't there? She, was, she puts his hand on her. Sh- she puts her hand on his shoulder at the end of uh, in the uh, at the end of the film. Yeah, but there was a, there was an element of ease to that, the, and an yeah. element of closeness. There's an element that, of certainly there's a suggestion, and don't forget it's only a few months later. Yeah. So there's a suggestion that this might be going somewhere. Maybe the, what they need to do is they need to have a Guardians of the Galaxy office Christmas party, and just get absolutely fucking shit faced. <laughs> And just go for it on the printer at the back of the oh, uh, Lord. at the back of the uh, the um, banana. I'm just I'm just suggesting it. Right. It's it's an option. It's open to them again. Kevin, if you're listening to this, <laughs> and I hope you're not. <laughs> um, I like their relationship. I think it's interesting. I thought the uh, the the cheers thing was maybe a bit too far, but mm. yeah. Otherwise, I thought it was pretty much nailed on. And Gamora. Uh, I thought it was pretty funny in this. I, I loved. I loved the bit where she went. I don't know what Cheers is, and just <laughs> yelled it. And then the very, very last thing. Loads of people have asked: Is this uh, where would you rate this in the MCU? Does this make your top ten? Does it make your top five? Is it better than first? What do you think? Um, no. <laughs> what does it rate in the MCU? <laughs> no. No, it. Uh, but it like on. It doesn't make my top ten, top five. Better than the first. No, to all of those probably. Okay. It doesn't make your top ten. I don't think so. It's only fifteen. Movies, only 50, right? yeah, so but would, I think it comfortably makes the top 10 for me uh, maybe not the top 5 but um, it, yeah it doesn't make the top 5 for me Guardians 1 is still in the top 5 for me and hmm. depending on my mood is number 1 for me um, this is top 10 but I don't know where in that top 10 just yet I need to let the uh, mm. I, I, let I, the I do need a piece of yeah I do need a piece of paper and a pen to work out Exactly where it falls, but let's I, go I think and make a spreadsheet, shall we? Let's make a <laughs> let's spreadsheet. Do that. Awesome. We're going to do a spreadsheet, and we're going to do a you know we'll make a list of the favorite MCU characters as well. Uh-huh. We can fight about where Tony and Steve come in at. Yeah, Steve comes top. Mm, actually, yeah. Very we shall see uh, right that is it uh, for this very very special edition of the Empire Podcast our Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 spoiler special thank you so much for listening do join us every Friday for our regular pod if you don't already subscribe please go to iTunes and do that if you want to leave us some nice five star reviews that would be just fine and dandy as well uh, our next spoiler special is Alien Covenant Ooh. with Sir Ridley Scott himself yes yeah 
No, that's oh, happened. That, that has happened. happened. That, that is in happened. the bag. Uh, keep your eyes peeled for that. That's probably going to be around May 15th, 16th, something like that. Uh, but in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. Uh, it's goodbye from John. Uga Chaka. <laughs> it's goodbye from Helen. Uga Chaka. And it's goodbye from me, Uga Chaka, I guess. <laughs> No, it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. 